You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is The Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that and like you right now. So be encouraged and let your light shine. Are these for all the tears that you're going to make me cry here? Can we talk about not women in leadership mm. at the church today? Here? Yeah. Let's do it. What's wrong? Well, she's got a... She's got a doctorate. I know. Is that normal for Church of Christ? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't in the church, in the stream that we were in. It was only in the church setting that women were not allowed to be in. But to say she's highly educated, but it wasn't for church purposes. Yeah. <laughs> She was recognized by the world. Do we want to? Do we want to go on about this? Well, we maybe we'll have on you on and talk about that another time. Oh, we'll do like a separate, interesting, topical. All right, you ready? I'm excited for this. I'm so glad you said yes. Oh. I really am. I feel like well, I'm honored you asked. Well, we're getting but to the part where everyone has already said yes. That is going to say <laughs> yes. But I love the idea of kind of branching outside because I feel like. There are fabulous, people. interesting, yes, fabulous, very interesting people in town who have great things to say, and I love the idea. All right. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Bonnie. <laughs> I'm just Connie. Connie! It's Connie! <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. It's Connie! And we are here today with a friend of the house, a local author... <laughs> Christiana Peterson. Welcome to the podcast studio today. Thank you. We're so happy to have you. Kate and I were just talking about branching out and getting really interesting people from the town onto the podcast, partly because everyone who has said yes in the church has already said yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm getting a lot of no's from the rest of you all. So if you're out there listening and you haven't been on the podcast... Christiana was born in Connecticut and moved to Austin, Texas when she was two years old. Her family has lived in Texas for generations. She went to a public elementary and in junior high and high school attended the Church of Christ school that was attached to her church. She got a bachelor's in English from Abilene Christian University in 2000. Two years later, she moved to St. Andrews, Scotland, where she got a master's in theology and a PhD in creative writing from St. Andrews University. After graduate school, she moved back to Texas and was introduced to Matthew through mutual friends. Matt Peterson was on our podcast two weeks ago, so if you missed that, go back and check that out. He had a fantastic podcast. They met through mutual friends. They talked for a while over email, saw that writing experience Mm -hmm. you had right you felt safe writing that's so interesting so rather than talk on the phone you did a lot of emailing we started that's how we were introduced yes he was living in dc and i was in texas so it was safer that way oh and he was totally drawn in and fell in love with your writing skills obviously we fell in love over email (laughs) they were really long emails (laughs) 
love letter writing. We don't do that anymore. Yes, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's letter writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a more modern version of it, but. Yep. They actually met in person on April Fool's Day, 2007. Oh. How many years were you emailing? Just just like we started in January. Okay. That same oh, year. so four months. Yeah. They were married in October of the same year. You know, no wasting time. No, Get... we knew. Wait, you started emailing in January. Yeah. And yeah. got married in October. We met in April. He came to Texas. Then I went to D.C. in May. And then he came to my sister's wedding in June. And then he came with me to my graduation in St. Andrews. And he proposed there. We had only been together in the same place like three times. <laughs> I, I've never heard this. Yeah. It's always fun stories when you're still married. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, isn't it? If we weren't together, it would have been like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> three times. <laughs> three times. It was, a, it was a problem. They lived in Washington, D.C., where Matt was working for mm-hmm. two nonprofits. And not long after, they had Neva. Then they moved to Illinois to live in a, a.k.a., no, just kidding, <laughs> Christian intentional community on a farm. I say a.k.a. Commune. A commune. Yeah. You're going to okay. weigh in on that because okay. you wrote a book about it. For eight years, they lived in the intentional Christian community on the farm. Matt managed the farm. Christiana worked on her writing, gardening, canning, cooking, and lots of farm fresh food. She was an expert. You still do all that? Not the canning so much. Lots of cooking. They had three more children, Jude, Annalie, and Isaac. In 2017, when she was pregnant with her fourth child, her father died. The farming community closed. She was in the middle of writing her first book, and they decided to move to Ohio, where Matthew got a pastoring job at Midway Mennonite Mm -hmm. Church. And she also turned 40. What a year that was. You had a baby when you were 40? I turned 40 a few months after I had him, yeah. I had my last one at like 35, and they're like, geriatric. Geriatric. I had two babies that were geriatric. (laughs) I was like, what? Her first book, Mystics and Misfits, Meeting God Through St. Francis and Other Unlikely Saints, was published in 2018. Her second book, Awakened by Death, Life-Giving Lessons from the Mystic, was released in 2020, a book of death during the pandemic. Yeah. Her ri- <laughs> No, no. I started writing before the t- pandemic. It was okay. actually terrible timing. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I was for trying lots to remember, of like, timeline if yeah. that came out or if you were writing it as... Oh, it came out on, like, how, like, right before Halloween. Her writing on the mystics community, the spiritual disciplines of motherhood and death has been featured in such places as Christianity Today, Art House America, G's Magazine, Christian Century, and Image Journal. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. So we're so blessed to have her talking to us today about one of her books and her experience and her life so tell us, who or what turned your light on? Well, I guess I was originally introduced to God growing up in church, in the Church of Christ. And my dad was particularly influential just with knowledge of the Bible and reading scripture and how important the church was and being there at the church all the time. And then my mom, you know, she's all about love, just very loving mother. So I, I learned about love from her. 
And that was kind of God the Father, the church. I think Matthew talked about this a little bit, that Jesus, we didn't really know who Jesus was. And I think it was when I went to grad school that I was kind of introduced to people from different denominations who read scripture differently, who worshiped differently, and taught me about social justice and care for the poor. And that was kind of, we hadn't really talked about that growing up much. And that, that grew out of their faith in Jesus. I really was drawn to the Mennonites when we were in intentional community and their love of the Sermon on the Mount and focusing on Jesus's life and, and living, actually living like Jesus. But I think it was through a time of depression and anxiety that I started reading about the mystics. St. Francis was my first mystic to read about, and I'd heard of him. I mean, have you heard of St. Francis of Assisi? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'd heard of him, but I didn't know much about him. But the guy I was reading, the guy who's book I was reading talked about him as a mystic. And that just means that they have these encounters with Mm -hmm. with Jesus, like these transformational encounters where they where Jesus speaks to them or they have a vision that it transforms their life. So I was just really interested in seeing Jesus in a relational way as someone who transforms your life rather than just reading about him in, in the Bible. I grew up in a tradition that was really Protestant in that there was nothing on the church walls. You know, it was really simple, not very aesthetically pleasing. I don't know if that's kind of in your background at all with your churches. I don't think there is a lot of emphasis put on aesthetics and design. I feel like for the most part, the non-denominational church is like, where can we put a church? Can we put it like in a metal box? Let's go there. You know, it's not about necessarily what's beautiful. You're tearing. Well, our history started with setting up every Sunday morning Uh and tearing down. Wherever you could do Uh, it. Yeah. So So the aesthetics are sort of like like whatever's there. Superfluous or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And chairs. We're in a gym. Yeah. 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 Elementary gym. Well, you know, I mean, the Protestant Reformation, like these people literally went into churches and just tore down all the beautiful things. They were boycotting against the Catholic. Our congregation, I mean, it was kind of like our Mennonite church and that, I don't know if you've been in there or been in any Mennonite churches, there's just not much in the way of aesthetics. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's meant as like God and art can never be connected, but when you sit in there growing up, you kind of start feeling like art is something that's not sacred. You know, God is sacred, but art is not. That's so Seeing art and beauty as things that can be devotional. Living in Scotland where I went to an Episcopal church for a while, and it was this a building that's older than probably anything <laughs> in our country. Yeah. yeah, in the U.S. as a in whole. In the U.S., mm-hmm. yeah. And they had, you know, incense, and I sang in the choir, and we wore robes, and there were stained glass, and it was just so rich and like, mystery and beauty. And so I think that just kind of helped me come alive to mm. God and art and creativity not being separate. So was it more of a formality with Father God and and then when you went through that season where you were feeling depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. you were like introduced to Jesus and he became more it became more of a relationship mm-hmm. than Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it, it was the idea that Jesus can be found often in our suffering. And I think that's one thing that I learned from the mystics is they have these like beautiful encounters with God and then they also ha- are open to some pretty awful things, like they would probably call them demonic, but that Jesus is with us there in those times when we're suffering and when things are really bad. 
that he can often be found there. When we don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable, we don't allow ourselves, you know, we kind of cushion ourselves from discomfort and suffering, then we also miss out on the relationship with God. Literally just having this conversation with Jenny York about how the scripture tells us that God is close to the brokenhearted. He's Mm -hmm. near to them. Mm -hmm. But if we are continually refusing to be brokenhearted, even though we are, or we refuse to acknowledge that we're sad, we're depressed, we are, you know, these things Mm. in our experience, you know, we miss the nearness of Christ. Jesus will fulfill that scripture Mm. in the acknowledgement that I am brokenhearted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And I think, like, I grew up in a pretty wealthy family. I mean, most of us in this country in the West are are wealthy compared to most of the world. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy to believe that we can overcome discomfort and suffering with our resources and with our striving or with our success or with our money. And you just miss out on a relationship with Jesus when you do that. Not because Jesus is not with all of us at any time, but I think you block yourself off from acknowledging your need for Jesus. So I think that was where I really met Jesus and living in a Mennonite intentional community where people are radically living for Jesus, that their relationship with Jesus affects how they spend their money and where they live and where they work and how they worship, where they live, just really was impactful for me. How did that change your life? Well, I think being with people in close community, first you're kind of like, oh, there's people are so challenging and it's hard to be with other people. But then you really start seeing your own challenges <laughs> reflected back at you. I mean, it's like marriage. If you'd never been married to this person, you might not have been open to seeing all the things about yourself that could be a little icky or weird or whatever. And when you're in community with people, it's just rubbing up against lots of personalities and you have to try to get along and you have to acknowledge your own brokenness. And so I think all of that was a big part of our life there. Because were you just like, I'm fine, everything's great. (laughs) And then you get into this community and this relationship and you're like, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) If you are regularly comfortable and you're never outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. You're just not growing. No. You're not stretched, (laughs) you're not growing, and you don't have the opportunity to opportunity to see where are my issues what you're is not practicing the fruit of the spirit because you, you're not being you don't, tested right yeah god can't put his finger on it, anything if you were just consistently in across the board comfortable situation. yeah so you really did it <laughs> we really did it <laughs> it was hard <laughs> would you say you and matt were on the same path because you both had similar upbringings mm-hmm. and you kind of met jesus together mm-hmm. yeah i think so I mean, I think we had a lot of challenges in that time. There was there was also a lot of stress because there was some dysfunction in the community. And so that stress bled into our marriage. And so I think we really met <laughs> our true selves and met each other truly and, and had to work through that together. You know, I think he has a rosier view of our time there. He said that, yeah. He said, you you remember all the dysfunction. Yeah, and I tend to remember the negatives. So it's a good balance. He just really, it was very impactful. It was impactful for both of us, but I think it was, I think I was ready to go long before he was. I learned to say earlier on in our marriage, I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm ready to be done with this. 
So talk to us about writing. You know, what lights you up? You went to school to get a doctorate in writing. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about your journey of, and you fell in love writing, Mm -hmm. emails. Did you start when you were a little girl? Where, Where did that love come from? Yeah, I think I was writing as a little girl. I mean, I always, <laughs> I still have my diary, my Snoopy diary that my kids <laughs> like to look at that it's ridiculous. So I I mean, I wrote more diary and really bad dumb poems when I was younger. And I remember my grandfather always told me you should be a writer and I was like, "Oh, that sounds horrible. Why would oh. you want to do that?" So I never thought that I wanted to be a writer, but I think it was a passion, I mean, a love of words and I I always thought I was going to be a musician, which I'm not really. But so, she is. No, I'm not. I don't think of myself as a musician. I love to sing. She can I wanted to be sing. Amy Grant. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my dream. Okay. Not a writer, but writing suits me better because I don't really like to be on stage, um, which would be a problem if you're going <laughs> to be, be like a famous Amy singer. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be famous, but I want everyone but to I leave me just, alone. Yeah. <laughs> just record me in my room and then don't look at me. I sang a solo once and I was I had my back to the congregation. Oh I was I was like, can I just turn to the side? Because I didn't want anybody looking at me. And <laughs> I've gotten better, obviously. Um so you're generally an introvert? Yeah. Not generally, just always. All the time. Always, okay. all the time. <laughs> so I think it was actually in college I took a children's literature class. It was for elementary education students, Mm -hmm. but I just was interested in in learning more about children's literature. And so she let me write a book for the class instead of doing like lesson plans that the other ladies were doing. I should say men, but there were no men in the class. (laughs) (laughs) And I just fell in love with it. And then I decided to pursue writing a young adult novel. So I did that between college and grad school. I wrote a young adult novel. Never got it published, but then it became a passion. And then I went to grad school to um, study theology and the arts because I I just, what lights me up is that intersection of theology and art. And my dad encouraged that, but it also wasn't really a part, as I said, of our church culture. Mm -hmm. But it was so rich to be in a Scottish, small Scottish village where that was such a part of their culture art and theology and all these old buildings. And actually, J.R.R. Tolkien gave a lecture in my college, you know, this famous lecture years and years ago on fairy stories. And so I was like studying in this place where he had written all of this stuff about. I was going to say that reminds me so much of even C.S. Lewis because, Mm -hmm. you know, C.S. Lewis grew up in the church, but at one point he walked away from his faith because of all the questions he had. But one of the reasons he came back was he was studying. He went to school for philosophy. Mm -hmm. He became a writer, but was in school for philosophy. One of the reasons he decided to step back into the faith head towards God again, was he was studying goodness and beauty. And he came to the realization that goodness and beauty are objective and not subjective. And that because beauty, like you're saying, is objective, there's something higher than us that has created that. Because all of humanity understands that there is goodness and beauty in the world. Mm -hmm. And so he actually came back to... Through that. Yes. And I think a lot of it was like George MacDonald... Do you know George MacDonald? Like a lot of like Tolkien and Lewis and a lot of that era was really influenced by George MacDonald who had written in the Victorian. Okay. Yeah. He wrote The Light Princess. I mean, he's not as well known as those guys. He was a Christian. 
he was a preacher. He had all these kids, and they would put on these plays in this Victorian era, and they would invite all classes of people, which you just didn't do at that time. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote all of these fairy tales. And Mm -hmm. so Lewis was really influenced by him as well. And yeah, Tolkien talks about the story of Jesus being the one true myth. Yes. Yes. And and so all these other fairy tales and fantasy stories that we read are sort of drawing us toward this longing that we have for this one true myth, which is Jesus. Mm. So that was really affected me in, in my study there. So I studied for a year with the masters, and then I had a friend who had gone to the English department to do creative writing, and he's like, why don't you come and do this with me? Because you're a writer, and we had a writer's group. And so I didn't expect to do that. And then I just stayed on and did a PhD there because I loved it so much. So, mm. And I wrote a another YA novel for my dissertation for that, which never got published either. But there's <laughs> So I have two unpublished novels. <laughs> <laughs> have you met Liz? Yeah. Yeah, we chatted. We probably well, will chat again. I always think yeah. it's so fascinating, the story in the Old Testament about, you know, the first time they talk about the Holy Spirit coming upon somebody, they were an artist building, oh, yeah. you know, decorating the, the temple. The, yeah. It matters. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, especially depending on what denomination you grew up in, you know, like plain Jane, let's not be flashy or Mm. anything. When you think about that was the first time that that showed up in the Bible and God made it about beautiful artistry, Mm -hmm. it does matter to God. Yeah. And it was important. So talk to us about your book, Mystics and Misfits, Meeting God Through St. Francis and Other Unlikely Saints. Tell us about your journey with this book. Well, I feel like you started a little bit a while ago hitting on St. Francis, that Mm -hmm. you found these mystics and you were very interested. Yeah, I think that is where it started. I first was just writing as a writing exercise. I wrote a letter to St. Francis, and it ended up in the book. That was the first thing I wrote. And it was just sort of a... I'd been really interested in him, and I I feel like I was kind of having a relationship with him, and I wanted to write him a letter. From that sort of grew this memoir about our time in an intentional community. Mm. And I was writing it not thinking we were going to leave. I started writing it while we were living there. And then I started finding out more about these other mystics. And so it just became like I kind of structured it into different themes. And each mystic I wrote a letter to at the beginning and Mm. or the end and then talked about a certain period in our life in intentional community that kind of, for me, connected with that theme simplicity or hospitality, contemplation, church, and death. So I started talking about death at the end of this because my dad was dying as I was doing edits on this. It was originally titled Mother Mystic because it was there's a lot of motherhood themes. But I had this writer's group of, of women that we would talk a lot and share our writing. And I went to a writing festival at Calvin College. Okay. It's called the Festival of Faith and Writing. And they have this big room where they have editors and publishers come. And so one of my friends just took my proposal up to one of the editors at Herald Press, which is a Mennonite publisher. And she said, what do you think about this? And then she said, oh, I'll take a look. And then she looked at my proposal and said, okay, we want to look at this. Wow. So it happened pretty fast. And it just made sense because it was a Mennonite publisher. So I published that in 2018. But I was finishing it as we were moving here. I was finishing edits. Wow. In our rental house. 
The wild so. thing is, is I had read this book before you guys, before we really met. Before we met. Yeah, because one of our friends gave us, <laughs> it's probably gave Mel, our shine group all a copy of it. Did she? Yeah. I got it at the library. So oh, really? Yeah. She, she gave me this book. I think mm-hmm. Ellen and Greg Bowman gave her or told her about it, and then she read it, and then we met. Okay. And well, then she became my it. marketing lady for the book, <laughs> telling yeah, people about it. What's your takeaway on simplicity? I think it's good. <laughs> the simplicity <laughs> is good. I mean, I th- I think it can look different ways for different people, but I also think we tend to want to sanitize the idea of simplicity mm-hmm. because it makes us uncomfortable. I mean, I do that when Jesus tells the man to give all he sell all he has and give to the poor, that we tend to say, well, it's just because money meant more to him. But maybe he actually wanted him to do that. And maybe he wants us to do that. Maybe not all of us, but just a little bit more than we do, or maybe a lot more than we do. Yeah, it's hard when you study St. Francis and Dorothy Day, and they sort of lived in poverty. And it's hard not to, to think that we're just not doing it enough. But then it be, can become a, a works sort of thing. But I also find like art and beauty really healing. And so for some people, give, you know, people who are minimalist don't have anything on their walls or whatever. And I would struggle to live that way because I think art and beauty are really healing and mm-hmm. important and even devotionally for contemplation. I've been following this minimalist mom on Instagram and how's that going (laughs) that does not sound fun i'm like i hate you (laughs) but i'm drawn to it i'm like oh my gosh who was that marie kondo marie kondo i'm like binge watching her netflix series and buying her book and like i'm fascinated by it but then do you do anything different mark's like why do we have all this stuff i'm like don't touch that i might do something with it i know (laughs) You probably could have a different conversation about this with Matthew because yeah, he's very I'm, much like an I'm idealist. Ready, you know? <laughs> I'm ready to purge, but I'm yeah. like, I haven't yet. I, I told our boys who are grown now, I'm like, all that stuff in the family room. And I'm like, do you want any of this stuff? Because one day I am going to purge and it's just going to be gone. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, why is this in my house? They've been out of the house for a while. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a hard concept, and I, I, I so you're like think. be a minimalist with beautiful <laughs> yeah, things. <laughs> well, I'm not a minimalist at all, and I think there's probably something different between simplicity and minimalism because I kind of think like Saint Francis of Assisi was not going to be like Instagramming his you know <laughs> his leper colony that he's living in, you know, this clean kitchen counter. Yeah, exactly. She has three boys, and there's nothing. I'm like, how? Yeah. <laughs> And our house is a lot bigger now than it was when I wrote that chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this lady on Instagram, like she spring cleans every day. I'm like, you're hardcore lady. One of my chapters in my book I'm going to write about working moms is clean enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because what are you not doing when you're cleaning? (laughs) Things are not getting done. Oh my gosh, she's scrubbing all of her kitchen cupboard every other day. I'm like, good grief. I don't feel like that is simple. (laughs) No. Like, that's not simplicity. No. So we talked a little bit with Matt about hospitality. Mm-hmm. And I found out about the Mennonite Airbnb. <laughs> that's something <laughs> you really appreciates. 
Beth tried it last week. <laughs> That's Matthew's thing, I think. <laughs> Tell us what your take your is way. on hospitality. It was really fascinating to me what he said. The difference between hospitality and entertainment. Yeah. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, that really resonates with me because you do feel so much pressure to entertain and have, mm-hmm. like, have this beautiful bread and beautiful food and you're looking like you're the Instagram minimalist mom who cleans her house like a maniac every day. And I'm like, that's just not my life. Come on in and I'll pretend for yeah. two hours. Well, you know, he got that from my book, so. Okay. All right. Expand on that. <laughs> Just Good. No, I mentor in this area. Tell him. I think a lot of those, a lot of that came out of our conversations that we've had for years. So, you know, I can't tell what's something that came from me and what came from him because it came from our life. But I, I do think that we realized together that hospitality was something that we could offer. There's a lot of things we we can't do or we don't have gifts in. But I mean, I cook a lot of meals. I learned how to cook when I was an intentional community. I learned how to cook for a lot of people because we would have people all the time coming in and guests coming in, visitors. Yeah, I think we, (laughs) there was a measure, I think, of guilt having a little bit bigger house. And I think we saw it as, okay, we have this house and we have this extra room. How can we use this as a gift to other people? So we've had lots of people stay with us or live with us and there's lots of things that we can't do, but we can we can do that. But that's a gift that we can provide together, and it, it's fun to do together. Unless things are super stressful with kids or it's when it gets complicated, everybody's schedules and such. You know, you're giving out hospitality, but what have you found that you get in return hmm. for being hospitable? I mean, I think it is, it's really good for us and our kids to be with people who are coming from different places than us. I think it expands our view of the world and how God works in the world. And I think Matthew mentioned we had a man from West Africa living with us for three years. I mean, he's an extremely faithful Christian, and he he saw things differently than we did. And you start to see, okay, what if, what if our faith or what if our church life is Christian and what of it is our American culture tacked on to what we think is Christian, but it's just what we've kind of gleaned from our culture. I mean, I was just inspired by his faith and the ways he will just be like, oh, I'm not really worried about that. I'm, I'm sure it's going to happen. You know, he would have no money and he'd be like, oh, God will take care of it. Just really trusting, you know, the daily bread thing was literal for him and the way he grew up. Whereas for us, that's just sort of a metaphor because we've never really known what it's like not to have daily bread. I think it's good for our kids, too, just to be at a table with lots of different people of all ages and different cultures. Talk to us about contemplation. (laughs) You're just going to go through my sections, aren't you? (laughs) I mean, I think that's where I started meeting Jesus was through prayer, like contemplative prayer. You know, I don't know if you guys had this growing up, The when you're taught to pray, it's the acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Did you, yes. you guys familiar with that? <laughs> yes. It just felt kind of boring, to be honest, growing up. I don't think I really knew how to pray to have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And I think it was through that really hard time reading about the mystics and reading about contemplative prayer and, and praying, sometimes with no words and just sitting in God's presence and asking Mm -hmm. God to be present with you was a lot more of a richer, brought me a lot richer prayer life than just checking the boxes for the type of prayer I'm supposed to do. So it was just asking God to meet me, meet me there 
and contemplating God's presence and delighting in God rather than asking God for things, asking to be like God. I feel like that's what's so amazing about, you know, you're saying it's so good to have these people into your home at your table because you see different ways of faith being lived out. Again, this is why, you know, talking about contemplation and prayer in America, we grow up looking at prayer in different ways, you know, depending on your denomination. Mm-hmm. But normally it is the acts, you know, you start with this yeah. and then you go with this. <laughs> but it's so good to have that background of, of knowing, you know, this is how other faith traditions mm-hmm. pray, mm-hmm. you know, getting into St. Francis, getting into the mystics, mm-hmm. you know, that might not be specifically Church of Christ, you know, but <laughs> not so much. it became... <laughs> It moved into something yeah. that brought you a lot of life. So I love the idea of hospitality leads to these things. Branching out and learning about other traditions yeah. leads to these things where you're like, I grew and I got closer to Jesus. And Because I think you meet, for me, I, I met Jesus and I met God in each denomination that I was a part of, was introduced to God in a different way. Yeah. And it makes you rethink and maybe question the way you had seen things before. You, you have to grow. You have to encounter God through your whole life right. in different ways. And I think denominations do that for us and, you know, the ways people worship and the ways people read the Bible and whether you agree with the way they read it or, or not, you start to see, oh, I have some blind spots here. Oh, I... Right. Um, it should cause you to look at. Mm-hmm. I have. Thoughts. I heard about this book. This the guy wrote. It's called Reading the Bible with the Damned, and he talks about going into prisons and reading scripture with prisoners, and how much things pop in scripture that never did before for him mm-hmm. because it's just such a different perspective on what is meaningful, mm-hmm. you know, to people who are desperate. Like they know that they need God. They're desperate. We need God just as much, but we don't always recognize it. So I think that's kind of a, an extreme example of how we need to have our eyes opened to different ways of seeing Jesus and encountering yeah. Jesus. I think so much of American Christianity is drawn to formulas. Mm-hmm. If you pray this way, you'll get this. If you do ABC, you'll get this. That's not how God operates. No. And I have found... Some of my most powerful and life-changing prayer experiences have been just out of the depths of despair yeah. saying, <laughs> like, the only thing I can say is, God, yeah. help me, help yeah. me, help me, help me. Yeah. Really finding him in that desperation, but not Absolutely. when you're doing the, our Father who art in heaven, which I'm not, those you are, know, those but, good, but yeah. sometimes I feel like... When you're in the depths of despair and you're just really having an honest conversation with God, he shows up and he yeah. meets you. Absolutely. I was reading this book by Ruth Haley Barton. Do you know her? Mm-hmm. And she talks about how often as your faith matures, you get to the point you have maybe just one phrase that you pray or you don't have a lot of words. It just becomes like over in certain periods of your life, like be still, no, or help God, you know? And that's part of like actual spiritual maturity that you don't really need those words as much. You just need that posture of help, you know, help me, be with me, the vulnerability. Matthew preached on, um, he was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, like I know you guys have been preaching through. Um, And he came to the the passage about prayer and going into a closet to pray. And 
I've I had a really rough fall and winter with anxiety this past fall and winter. And we have a closet across from my son's room that's under the stairway. It's like a little Harry Potter closet. And I literally made a prayer closet, which I guess you're not really supposed to talk about because you're not supposed to talk about how you go into the closet and pray. But I did. I made myself a little prayer closet. And I have found Jesus in that prayer closet mm-hmm. <laughs> this past fall and winter. Yeah, I would just like get on my knees and say, help me. When the kids were in school, I'd just be crying in the prayer closet for 15 minutes. Those are the times when I just feel God's presence so deeply. I'm glad you shared that because I feel like (laughs) that encourages other people to be like, I should try that. Yeah. We can pray anywhere. We know that. But it's there is something about having a specific place that you go to meet God for our own sake, I think. Yeah. How are you letting your light shine in this season of your life? (laughs) Well, I, I haven't been writing much. I've kind of just not been able to write. Because you're a mom of four. That could be part of it. <laughs> oh, my god! That could be part of it. I mean, I, I did write both of those books when I was a mom of four, but I think it I got burned out, particularly with my second book, and I was – you have to market yourself. You have to be on social media. And, you know, and with COVID and the pandemic, I just got burned out, and then I had some bad anxiety this fall and winter, and it just kind of scaled things back, and I just – was thinking, I just need to figure out what I'm doing with this and not write until I'm ready to again. And also realizing that my oldest is going to high school, my youngest is going to kindergarten, and it's going so fast. I mean, they're going to be gone in no time, as you guys know more than I do. I just need to start at home. Not not working, but that, that needs to be where I start shining my light. And hospitality, too, I think starts in our home with our family and our kids. And then open my home out to whomever needs it. What has God shown you about pouring into your kids in the season that they're in right now? Because mm-hmm. you've got kids in multiple, you know, Age almost groups. high school and almost kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Has he given you wisdom in that area? <laughs> well, I think he gave me anxiety. He <laughs> 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 allowed the anxiety. I don't know. I don't know if you guys had this experience, but when you have a child, particularly if it's the same gender as you that hits an age that was challenging for you, that it brings up stuff for you from that age. Mm-hmm. And it makes you feel like you're a child. You're they're always going to be a middle schooler inside, you know? <laughs> so I think God was tapping on me and saying, it's time for you to seek healing in this area. It's time for you to let me heal you in this area. It's good. And I've had some challenges in my family of origin life and I needed some healing. It was time to kind of face it. So I think having kids around that age, which is an age where I think is really challenging for a lot of people, that we kind of feel like children all of our lives, feel like 13-year-olds. So that was an insight I had this year. But I I also think Matthew and I have been talking a lot about how fast things go. And (laughs) I was driving the grocery store the other day, And I was like, in 25 years, I'm going to be 70. 25 years ago, I was 20. Life is so short. Mm -hmm. And we just have so little time with our kids. And so I just need to pour into them whatever they need. Lots of prayer. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like you shine a lot of light at church. I mean, I know that I'm not sure you have an official 
title, but you really do. We went to the Good Friday service and she rocked like the whole thing. Oh, thank it was you. amazing. That was really fun to do. It was so cool. Because I hadn't done that in a while. And that actually gave me some joy and some light because it is my favorite things, art and theology. I had people contemplate pieces of art and we read I read poetry and sang and just being able to bring that to the church space yeah. was really meaningful to it me. It was so good. And I love leading worship. I know you feel the same way. Yeah, because she's really involved on Sunday. Yeah, in the praise team. Because it's not a it's not a performance thing. It's a it's a service thing. So mm -hmm. I love doing that. He's meeting your dream about being an Amy Grant. That's right. a very just different, a very small, <laughs> a very different venue. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> With your head turned. <laughs> well, I think I, he knew that I needed to use that love in some way, mm. using it at a, a local church is a wonderful way to do that. I'm so interested to ask this question just because it's it. let, a, let such me get a water here. Conversation with <laughs> with Matt even afterwards, but. Do you have any supernatural stories that you would like to tell? Ooh, even in light of the mystics. Yeah. Anything that you'd like to share that felt supernatural? I always feel odd about this because when I was a child, I think I was more open to the veil. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the parting of the veil. I had a lot of fears and I would see things in my room. And I, I'm really scared to say it was demonic, but... <laughs> I just felt more raw to that kind of thing. And it yeah. was extremely scary for me. So I just sort of, I think I suppressed that. And also, our, I think our denomination was very much, I mean, Matthew said, like the he Holy Spirit, the skeptical. silent member of the Trinity. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think that was part of what drew me to the mystics mm -hmm. is sort of reawakening that part of me and a part of all of us right. that is really dormant especially in our Western culture. I, I mean, agree. that is alive in Abel's culture in, right. in West Africa. I mean, that you ask somebody, are there, is there, are there God and demons? And that, that's not even a question for right. a lot of people. I mean, I don't want to stereotype, but for his culture, for what he would say. And for us, we're very skeptical of that kind of thing. And so to read about St. Francis and the other mystics and their experiences, as I've gotten older, I have seen things at night, particularly in my room. That's not very fun, supernatural. Mm -hmm. But I did have an experience where twice at our church the last couple years, um, one was a woman who works in Columbus with her family, and they take in addicts. And they have this program that they do that's been like more successful than any of the official addiction recovery centers because they live with addicts. They bring them into their home for years. And she was just talking, and this is what she does. She was talking at our church, and I just saw kind of glowing around her. And I just felt like that was some sort of beautiful spiritual glow <laughs> around her. And then I had another experience at our church where when we were first there, when they, the congregation was praying over us, and I had a similar experience of just seeing kind of light shining. Mm -hmm. But I think most of my supernatural experiences are answered prayers, particularly relationally. I mean, not necessarily like 
I want to buy that car. And so that car comes free or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. But like I'm struggling with this relationally with someone else and praying about it. And then that person comes to me and says the exact thing I was praying for. I think, didn't Matthew give you that quote about coincidences? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's been a really meaningful quote to me because mm-hmm. that's my experience of prayer life is for the most part that when you pray, coincidences happen. Mm-hmm. And when you stop praying, they stop happening. So, Kate, you got her book at the library. I thought I did. What were your takeaways from it? I wanted to read and enjoy it because I have also felt drawn to the mystics. Mm. And so, you know, at that time, I was like, whatever can give me, you know, more information Mm -hmm. to help draw on that Mm -hmm. is what I wanted. Yeah. I I remember it being really interesting and good and... I think a lot of people lately are drawn to the mystics. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of people who find these ancient traditions that we've always had in Christianity, but that then the Protestant Reformation got split off and we kind of lost some beautiful like contemplative traditions and even the ways that the Catholic Church recognizes singleness as a a beautiful thing, you know, with their monks and nuns. I'm not becoming Catholic. I appreciate so many things about well, that's Catholicism. I mean, I really appreciate the way that I was brought up because even though we we were brought up at the upper room, mm-hmm. we were oftentimes at different churches. So yeah. when I was a kid, we were always at different services, Presbyterian, we were at the Methodist church and then the Grace church. We would pop around all the time. And even in a high school, my mom would start a long time ago, she got together with the pastor at the Grace Church, and they started Tizay services. Oh, that's awesome. And so Chris and I learned a big portion of the Tizay song, so mm. we could help to lead that. And so I appreciate having all of these different backgrounds to connect to, even though I, I would say, you know, we're here at the upper room. I think people think that looks like something, mm-hmm. but I really do appreciate having all of the... Yeah, we need each other. Yes. I think that's a beautiful thing about Columbiana, which is unusual, and maybe you guys don't know how unusual that is, that all of these churches come together in this ministerial association and care for each other and work together. I mean, but it's just so, I love that so much mm-hmm. that you guys are bonded and yeah. care for each other and are able to to see how important it is that we are together in this, you know, right. that we're unified in our love of Jesus. That's so good. real quick. <laughs> Give us your top five takeaways <laughs> oh. from commune living. <laughs> top five takeaways. <laughs> About yourself, maybe. <laughs> I learned how to cook for a lot of people. I had lots of interesting experiences with very unique people with lots of idiosyncrasies. I learned, I loved gardening. I'm not a good gardener because I don't weed, but I loved gardening and I loved eating farm fresh food, which we don't get as much here. The kids, it was like a a playground for the kids. We had 180 acres. We had a creek. They would love being there now. I mean, that's kind of my major thing that that I wish they could have is just running around and playing behind the barn (laughs) with old farm implements that probably would (laughs) are rusty. (laughs) Build, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just seeing a more radical way of following Jesus. Just people who are all in, and that's their main goal in life is to follow Jesus with everything they have. So if you're like me and you don't want to actually experience communal living, Mm -hmm. you can check out her book, (laughs) Mystics and Misfits. Where can you find the book? 
can find it wherever books are sold. Oh. And the local library. The local I think library. So. Yeah. yeah, it's there. Both of my books are at the local library. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming in and talking to us today. We're going to have to have you back, and we'll talk Thank more you. about women in theology. Love it. And death. That'll wow. be a fun topic. That'll be a fun one. <laughs> we'll make it real fun. <laughs> but thanks for coming in and sharing a part of your story. And we're glad you guys are in Columbiana yeah. and Thank happy you. to be in community with you. Thank you. Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye. Oh, oh. wait. Bye. Bye. <laughs>